one of the things that that I have always loved about the roles that I've had over the last several years is working with the franchisees and helping them figure out how to excel in their businesses. And it's hard as a corporate employee to do that. You know, there's only so much time that you have. There's only so much, you know, you can devote to that individual franchisee. But, you know, in my own business as a consultant, I can work with brokerage owners as an extension of their team. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser, with Fidelity National Title, Tampa District. Thanks for tuning in as we uncover the stories of leaders in our industry. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Episode 203 of The Real Estate Sessions Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. I'm really excited to have another live interview on the podcast. I'm at the Rosen Shingle Creek Resort in Orlando for the Florida Realtors Convention. You might hear a little noise in the background. But I'm here with someone I got to watch present this morning, someone I've known from afar for a long time. We actually were in the same city for a number of years in the Scottsdale area. Uh, It's Wendy Forsyth. I'm so excited to talk to her. Wendy Forsyth has recently left the corporate world. She's now jumped into that world of consulting with Wendy Forsyth Consulting. Wendy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to have you here. I've seen you present numerous times, whether it was back in, in Arizona at certain events. Uh, you're all over the Inman stage now. You're doing lots of really cool stuff. So congratulations on, on all of that. Thank you. Thank you. It's always uh, an honor and always a joy to get to talk to our, our real estate community, which you know you do do so well through this podcast and through all the work that you do. Thank you. First of all, I love finding out where people come from. Okay. And you are my first guest in over 200 guests from the <laughs> province of Nova Scotia. So first of all, Here's my dumb American take on Nova Scotia. It's like way up there past Maine, and it's super cold. Am I close? Well, you're you're definitely close. So um, I am Canadian, born and raised in Nova Scotia, Canada, northeast. So you got that right. So above Maine and and a little bit more uh, to the right on the map, and you'll find Nova Scotia, beautiful part of the world. And it is cold. It does snow a lot. But the summers are lovely. So I actually just back from a summer vacation there uh, visiting family. And it was, you know, 75, low 80s every day, uh, wonderfully green, just just picturesque. It's very beautiful there. So growing up there, right? Mm-hmm. You obviously probably went through tough winters, I'm just yes, guessing. Yes, tough winters. So, you know, the nor'easter, which, you know, the folks on the, the, the East Coast will be familiar with. I mean, when a snowstorm is coming in, uh, life stops, you stock up on provisions, and you stay home and, and stay safe. Yeah. But the the wonderful thing about it is after the storm, it is beautiful. It's crystal blue skies, the sun comes out, it glistens off the freshly fallen snow, and it's lovely. Now, it still might be a little cold, but you can bundle up for that. And my guess, it's not it's not going to be that snow that happens in the big cities that all of a sudden turns a different color. It kind of just kind of stays beautiful while <laughs> well, it's Well, some there. of it stays beautiful until you let the dogs out and then they, <laughs> they, they add some color to the that snow. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always interesting selling houses in the middle of those snowstorms. So for your listeners that deal with that, we always used to say it's a good time to go look at a house right after a snowstorm. Right. Because you could see, you know, how the snow was laying on the roof would give sort of telltale signs. And, and there's a whole other sort of part of selling real estate in that that climate that's very local. Right. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. 
you att- you went to college mm-hmm. in Nova Scotia as well. I did. You're a little. Uh, it was called Acadia University. Is Acadia that right? Acadia University. Yes. It's, now I looked this up doing my homework. It's in Wolfville. Wolfville, Nova Scotia. I am going to guess that is a super cool place. <laughs> I dig the name, right? But you know, it's very similar to what you know here in in the U.S. It's that small university town. Okay. So, so the university is the core and the heartbeat of the town. The campus is beautiful. Everything sort of happens around the the campus there, and uh, it's one of the top business schools in Canada and has been for many many years. And that was one of the reasons that I went there. That and the fact that it was you know home. Um, it was only about fifteen minutes from my hometown, okay. so kept me local and uh, got me a great education at the same time. You mentioned business. Mm -hmm. Was real estate on your radar while you were in school? Real estate was on my radar, but when I started school, um, had my Bachelor of Business Administration, so was going to study business. Wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but started off majoring in accounting. Have always been kind of good with numbers, so to speak, but interested with that side of the world. Got into my second year of courses and they loaded up all of your accounting. So taxation, managerial accounting, like they just loaded it all on. And I got through sort of the first semester and was like, there is no way I'm spending my life like as an accountant. Like the the dreams of, yeah, I'll be a CPA. It's a nice steady income. I'll, I'll be good. So, um, you know, went to my advisors on campus and switched my major then to marketing and human resources. (laughs) (laughs) But that that accounting background has helped me so much, though. (laughs) I'm going to say those three topics you just rolled into probably helped you immensely in in the career you ended up in. They did, but I'm super happy I'm not a CPA. (laughs) Okay. Sorry, all you CPAs listening out there. No offense to CPAs We appreciate you. We do. Okay, good. So real estate, right? Now I, I got to I mentioned earlier I got to see you present this morning mm-hmm. and you you talked to a room full of broker owners mm-hmm. and, and um and some office managers, which man, I really felt firm because <laughs> the conversation got a little tough for them. I'll put up a couple tweets out there if you want to find them. But uh, I think that let's talk about that that you share the story that you shared in your presentation about how real estate, you know, came really early for you. It did uh, while I was still in college, actually. Although real estate wasn't sort of immediately on that career path, I have been connected to real estate through my my family since being a child. My my dad is a new home contractor, so has done developments, built custom built new homes my entire life. So hanging out with dad was, you know, going and checking out the job sites and and doing those things. So was always around new construction and and housing. And on my summer vacation, on my second year of college, was figuring out what should I do for a part-time job. You know, my dad said, uh, why don't you go get your real estate license? And I was like, well, why would I do that? And typical to developers, he wasn't particularly happy with the real estate agents that were listing uh, the homes that he was building and the development that he was in. He had a couple spec homes. And he was like, you can go get your real estate license, spend the summer doing open houses at the spec houses. He's like, all you've got to do is sell one house and you'll make as much as you would make working a part-time job at the mall. And he says, if you want to be a business person, you've got to learn how to sell. Because that's the the one skill that will translate any job you ever have in your life is that ability to sell things or services. And so this was the early 1990s, so now I'm dating myself. Uh, But in Nova Scotia at that time, you could go to the Real Estate Association, 
literally buy a three ring binder, which was your real estate course, and you could um, take the exam. So if you took the real estate exam and passed the course, they gave you a real estate license. Um, And that's what I did. So I I bought my binder like on a Tuesday, went and wrote the exam sort of the following week and within a very short time span, had a license. Wow. (laughs) Knew absolutely nothing about how to sell real estate, but I I was a realtor. (laughs) Where did you end up? Who was your first broker? Was it with your father? Well, not really. No, because he he didn't own a brokerage. So the local brokerage that he was listing his properties Mm -hmm. with, So I joined that brokerage and started working with them. And they were a small brokerage, like small office, 20, 30 agents at the time, a couple office office locations in our community. Um, But I just started doing open houses. My first training program sort of got into some training a a little bit later on. Um, They told us to work expireds. And nobody had told me that in the office So I went back to the office and there was a whole bookcase of three ring binders because our MLS system was three ring binders at the time. Okay, that's the dating Uh, yourself. That's the dating, yes, the dating myself. But these binders all had labels of dates. So expired from X date to X date. And I, you know, just, I've always been very coachable. Um, So I just did what I was told and started calling people and just started booking listing appointments. And uh, that first year in the business took a hundred listings. Wow. And went back to school in the fall. Wow. So when you graduated, real estate was really rock solid. That was your world, away you go. Yes, exactly. Let's let's talk about how long you stayed at that first brokerage. But I know you quickly kind of got into management and started moving. And you actually... Have a you spent some time at Royal LePage, which is like one of the big big brands in the can, in Canada, right? I did. So I um, went back to school, kept selling real estate, graduated, and by the time I graduated, you know, my friends were taking internships at advertising companies and accounting firms and those things. But I was making a really good income selling real estate. And I remember distinctly, you know, people kind of saying, well, that's not what you're going to do now, is it? I was like, yeah, it is what I'm going to do. And then the brokerage that I was with um, quickly offered me a management position and said, you know, now that you're done school, you know, you're one of our top agents, like, why don't you become a manager? And then I was like, oh, well, that sort of gives me credibility. And now I'm going to be a manager. And, and we talked about this in the session today. And I thought, okay, well, that's great. That's my career path. That's the progression. Luckily, my dad gave some advice and said, look, if you're going to start managing and recruiting agents, doing all these other things that aren't selling, you know, you should do that in your own business. You shouldn't do that for somebody else. So I have a very strong entrepreneurial family. They've always, all of my family um, has always run their own businesses. So I actually bought the brokerage I was working at. They had a um, satellite office and I bought that office from them. And that's how I got into brokerage ownership. How old are you as a broker owner? Uh, 24, I think I was 24 or 25 at that time. Wow. So now you're running your own company. Yes. And so at some point though, there's an exit strategy for you in your 20s. Yes. (laughs) Because you're going to move on up to a bigger operation. There is. So I, I ran my own brokerage for about five years. It was a tremendous learning experience. And you can imagine, you know, a young female in her early 20s in a fairly small town market in Nova Scotia, Canada, you know, the 55-year-old experienced agent was not coming and working at my brokerage. I mean, they were taking bets on whether or not I'd be open in six months. So I had to prove them wrong. 
you know, that's kind of a longer story, but, you know, got into doing a lot of speaking, a lot of training to attract uh, new agents because I, I wasn't able to recruit experienced agents very much at that time. So built the business around the new agent and getting them producing. Along the way, there was an independent um, in my community that was looking to grow and approached me. And there were some things that kind of happened that led me to believe, like, I want to do something different, something more. And because I was born and raised and went to school in my small community, as I was growing the brokerage business, I started to be able to travel to conferences and other places and really get the bug for, I want to live somewhere else. So I was a Realty World franchisee. And in Canada, Royal LePage had bought the master franchise rights to Realty World. And that's how that connection happened. So the, the Royal LePage folks actually had to approve the sale of my franchise to this independent um, in my local market. And quickly thereafter, uh, offered me a job to move to Toronto, Canada and join the Royal LePage uh, corporate team. I'm guessing... Toronto is a much bigger city than anything <laughs> in Nova Scotia. Toronto is a much bigger city than anything in Nova Scotia. Yes. So I was that uh, typical story of, you know, packing up all of my belongings in the U-Haul and waving goodbye to the family and heading for the big city to, to see what could happen. So you spent some time in Toronto. Yes. Somehow we got to get you to the States. Yes. So I think you, once again, I, I, Doing looking back at some of your history, you came down with Realogy's launch of Better Homes and Garden, right? I mean, that's, that's a, correct. And so let's talk about that decision. Yes. First of all, to come to the States and to start, I mean, talk about trying to build something from scratch that had to be very exciting and mm -hmm. probably also a little scary. Both, both of those things. Um, and it got, it got scarier um, after I, I made the move. So that, to give context to that statement, the time frame was 2007. So Realogy had started uh, recruiting me. I had had some relationships there. Sherry Chris, who's still the, the CEO and president of Better Homes and Gardens, had been hired by Realogy to relaunch the brand. Sherry and I worked together at Royal LePage in Canada. So that was the connection there. So I made the move. It was super exciting to think about, you know, coming to the U.S. and working in the U.S. market. And I had been coming to conferences uh, with Royal LePage in Canada for years. They would always send executive team down to Inman and, and NAR and various conferences here. So I had sort of a sense of the American market and just how much bigger it is than the Canadian you know, market is. In Canada, there's, there's about 110,000 realtors in all of the Canadian Real Estate Association. You know, there's more than that in California. In Florida, there's 180,000. So more you know, just in Florida where we happen to be right now. So I made that move and I joined Realogy in the fall of 2007. We had about eight months to launch and get all of the value proposition together for the Better Homes and Gardens real estate brand. We were launching in the summer of 2008. So when I joined, I was employee number two. We didn't have a lawn sign. We didn't have a logo. We didn't have a website. We didn't have a listing presentation. And we got to build all of that uh, for, for the launch. We launched that following summer in 2008. And then, of course, in the fall of 2008, the stock market uh, crashed. And uh, the next five years were very interesting times for, for all of us in the real estate industry. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think that through. Were there, you talked about this, this is the scary part we're talking mm -hmm. about, right? That's the scary part, the fact yes. That you, uh, were there 
I don't want to call them closure of, of offices or but were there people who were coming on board as you know said yes I want a franchise that had to back out I mean were there things that got that dramatic I mean there there were a lot of dramatic things that happened so you know we we were able to work across the brands it was very fortunate that Better Homes and Gardens was really the growth brand for Realogy at that time. So, you know, we were in a very different position than some of our, our sister brands where, you know, they'd had sort of legacy franchisees that were really running into severe financial problems. We did sort of triage opportunities across. If there were, you know, two companies that you could put together in a market and find some synergies, then, then you know, we worked to, to do that. So the the brand grew tremendously despite the downturn in the market. But definitely, you know, we we felt the pain that many broker owners, you know, felt during that time. You've now experienced um, uh, your own in, little independent brokerage. You went on to do some work with a huge uh, operation in Canada. Now you've come down Realogy. Mm-hmm. And, and I know, I really knew of you a lot more when you were in Arizona. Mm-hmm. You did this because now you went off to like... I don't know what you would call HomeSmart, because when it first started, it just felt like this little independent in the Phoenix area. Matt mm-hmm. created this little thing, and yes. they had some very cool technology early in the game. I, I mm-hmm. saw that control center where, like remote offices, one lady was watching 12 branches on her screen yes. to let people access the lobby while she was getting a hold of the agent. Am I right? Yeah, you're Some absolutely right. Technology. So virtual reception. Virtual reception, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's can we talk a bit about, you know, that the transition there? Yeah, absolutely. So um, for Better Homes and Gardens, I relocated from Toronto to New Jersey. Now, a Canadian kid from the Northeast who dreams of working in the U.S. doesn't dream of New Jersey. <laughs> it's probably California. Probably California. So, um, yes. So, I actually had an opportunity to work in California. So, before I, I went to um, Arizona, ran a large independent company in California for a number of years, and then my, made my way to HomeSmart. Was that Carrington? That was a company okay, called Carrington. Gotcha. Yes, yes. So... You know, that company was owned by a hedge fund, had also a very interesting business model. And I've always been, I've been for, for many years sort of attracted to different ways of running brokerages, brokerage businesses and have been fortunate enough to find opportunities in my own career path that gave me a chance to run businesses that are running non-traditional business models. And and that's really where HomeSmart fit into that, is I had been watching the 100% commission transaction fee model, um, and I consider myself a student of the industry. So really watching, you know, that model evolve and, you know, work in different markets. So I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to to go run the, the HomeSmart International operation, which was their corporately owned offices, which they have about 9,000 agents in. And then they have about the same amount in franchised offices across the country. Right. And still growing to this day. Still growing to yeah. this day, yes. And that business model, you know, it just as a segment of business models is a very high growth business model. Yeah. So your background just absolutely leads to the fact that you've made this decision at this point in your life to say, you know what, I'm going to do it my own thing. I'm going to take all of this, this varied background that I have and then go help other brokers that are looking to, you know, grow and build and, as you said today, have success and fund. Yeah, absolutely. So when I left my hometown and, you know, made that first move to Toronto, Canada, 
that was the first time in my life that I'd ever gotten a paycheck and been sort of a corporate employee. I had worked off commission and owned my own, you know, brokerage for that first part of my career. And I never thought that, you know, 19 years later, I'd still be a corporate employee. And you get very used to that and it becomes very, very comfortable. But over the last couple of years, I uh, very much have had that sort of yearning to get back to my entrepreneurial uh, roots. And so much is happening in the business right now that I think it's such a key opportunity. And one of the things that, that I have always loved about the roles that I've had over the last several years is working with the franchisees and, and helping them figure out how to excel in their businesses. And it's hard as a corporate employee to do that. You know, there's only so much time that you have. There's only so much, you know, you can devote to that individual franchisee. But in my own business as a consultant, I can work with brokerage owners as an extension of their team. And they couldn't afford to hire me as an employee. There's just not the monetary, um, you know, ability to do that. But they can hire fractions of my time. And so, you know, I, I sort of talk with people that like, I'm your fractional COO, right? Like you can bring me in, we'll get your business in order, we'll set up your systems, we'll develop your strategies, we'll work on your skill set. Like consider me as like that person that you can bring in to do that. Yeah. And, and that's very exciting. I can tell just sitting here talking to you that you are extremely competitive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. That's a yes. Yes, that's okay. a yes. <laughs> Before I, I want to ask you a series of questions about where we're headed. Okay. Because it's a really, there's, it's always kind of transitioning. Real estate's always changing to an extent, but it just seems like everything's been compressed. Mm-hmm. Like the changes are happening so much faster. Yes. Um, but you, you run marathons and you have run, <laughs> you've completed an Ironman, which is, yes. for those that don't know, that's a, it's a 2.1 mile swim. 2.4 mile swim. A hundred and 12-mile bike ride That's right. and a 26.2-mile run. That's right. All together, one right after run, the other. Yes. yes. So uh, did, were you an athlete in school? Was it... Yes. I've, you... I've always been an athlete. I was a competitive gymnast as a child. Once I graduated kind of high school and the gymnastics career was over, I stayed active and went to the gym and you know, did sort of the things that you normally do, but found running eventually. And it actually wasn't until I was in New Jersey that I found running. And then when I moved to California, I I remember joining a gym because that's kind of what you always did. Like you joined a gym. And I remember being at a spin class and and looking out into the beautiful sort of California sunshine and saying, why am I here? Like I should be out on the beach running. And I canceled my gym membership. I haven't had one since and just went out to the beach and started running. And somewhere in my mind, I had always had that I wanted to do the LA Marathon. So when I moved to California, that was one of my first targets that I set as a personal goal was to run the LA Marathon. And that was the first full marathon that I completed. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. So, <laughs> You're not going to do I'm, that? I'm not going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. Let me, let's, <laughs> let's talk about your business now. And I, uh, it, was, it was really cool to see the presentation today and, and hear the questions from the room. But tell me, what's the number one thing people hire you for? It's... They're they're usually at a crossroads with the struggle of I need to grow, 
but I need to get some organization and some systems in my business. And, and that is such a tough spot um, for a brokerage owner to be in. You know, when you're a big mega broker, you can hire people to do all of the operational side of the business and, and do the growth side of the business. When you're a smaller broker owner, you've got to do both. And those broker owners figure things out, but it usually takes longer where they can bring me in and get from point A to point B faster, which, you know, makes them money, pays for their fee of of bringing me in and saves them a whole lot of energy and aggravation along the way. And, you know, one of the benefits of my experience is working with, you know, franchise owners and brokerage owners across the country in all the different brands and all the different business models. And, And that gives a sort of a, a scope of reference to say, okay, well, here are here's some things that have worked for other people and, uh, and we can work through that. The other thing that I would say is that for a lot of brokerage owners, it's just lonely. Like who do you talk to, right? You, you have friends that maybe run brokerages. You come to, you know, events like this and you meet other people, uh, but that's hard to, you know, really say, like, who is my sounding board? Like, who do I bounce things off? And one of the things that is critical right now is that brokerage owners don't get complacent in status quo. And there's so much noise that's happening in the industry. We've got iBuyers, we've got teams, we've got venture capital, we've got new business models. When you're sitting in your local market, how do you wade through all of that and say, okay, I know I got to make some changes. I, I'm not liking what my bottom line is doing, but I don't know what those changes are. And, and that's where I can really help think through those things. Let's pick out one of those. I'm going to use the word disruptors because I want you to use the word you use. You don't like the word disruptors. You're going to tell me what you call these people. But let's start with Compass, right? Because it's a brokerage. Mm-hmm backed by massive venture capital, over a billion dollars of money to spend, no other brokerage can do. Mm -hmm. So how does that local, talk about how that's affecting the people that you talk to. There's, there's so many ways and it varies market by market, but you know, certainly Compass has been a fierce competitor and I absolutely, you know, admire, you know, Robert Revkin and the team for, for going against the status quo. And, and it's actually a great example of what I, I talk about with brokers is just because somebody hasn't done something some way doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. And, and when you look at what Compass did, Compass said, like, it, this is how recruiting has always been done. We're going to recruit agents a different way. And if it ruffles some feathers and some people don't like it, well, that's okay because this is about us and the business that we're, we're building. Um, so I absolutely admire that. So there's a whole other sort of dynamic and you're, you're smiling at me. So there, there's a dynamic around, you know, people's feelings about that. But it's a great example of saying, nope, we're going to do something different than the status quo of what the industry is used to or has accepted in the past. They looked at it from a different kind of viewpoint. Yeah. You were at Inman in Vegas. Yes. Yes. And so you got to see some of those conversations that occurred. Give me your take on that. I thought I thought there were some very honest, really, really great interviews that happened 
probably for me, some of the best, I mean, like the Gary Keller thing last year was fun mm-hmm. in San Francisco, mm-hmm. but give me your take on those, those conversations we had with, you know, with uh, Ryan from NRT and, mm-hmm. and. Yeah. You know, I think it's, um, it's a tough time to be a leader of a, you know, a real estate business, whether it be brand or brokerage at any level. And I think that they, we, we are fortunate in this industry that we have strong leadership, what I think most of your listeners are probably more interested in is how does that impact me in my local market, right? Let's go there. What, what the Robert Revkin and what the um, you know Ryan Gormans of the world at those big brands do doesn't really impact the majority of brokers, you know, in the country. What I think that it does show, and what we did learn from Inman is that it's not a one size fits all world. And this is one of the things I talked about here with the group, um, you know, in Florida is if you look at real trends stats on the ranking of companies, you'll see all kinds of different business models that, you know, companies are using and making money and growing and being effective. So you've got to figure out what is my business model? What is my value proposition that works for me, is authentic to me, works for my market, and then you need to develop and execute on that plan. And I think that that's where the other stuff becomes distraction. You know, what the what the compasses and the NRTs and the EXPs of the world are doing, I need to be aware of that. But for most brokerage owners, they're really much more concerned with what do I need to do every day. Would you extend that out even to the iBuyers and all those other models that are coming in? You had a great chart, and I think it's it's available. We'll probably put a link to mm-hmm. you. You have the some notes from Inman mm-hmm. that, that talk about these different lanes that you like to call it. That yeah, the swim lanes. Yeah, swim yeah. lanes that the brokerages are in, and once again. It's up to that broker owner to understand all this stuff, but ultimately it's it's looking within and what am I doing here that's going to matter? That's not really going to have this massive effect. Is that a fair assessment? That's a fair assessment. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's where we, that's why it, it can be so difficult at times, right? You're trying to figure out, do I change business models? Do I, you know, offer more of this? Do I get this, you know, tech vendor in? Um, you know, there is a lot of choices to be made around that. And it can be very isolating when you're trying to figure out how to make those business decisions. And and that's where, you know, having some expertise and, you know, looking uh, looking around, you know, can help with that. Wendy, my 30 minutes are up. So this is, uh, I want to stick, I honor your time. But I do want to ask you the same final question I've asked every guest on the show. Okay. So, so my question <laughs> to you is this, uh, if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent just getting started, what would it be? A new agent just getting started, I would say just be courageous. Pick up the phone, talk to people, do open houses, go to every meeting, listen to everyone, but don't let anybody take away your courage to do the activities that will lead to the success that you're looking for. And and that's not an easy thing to do, but be courageous and push forward and do the actions that will lead to success. If somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? They can email me, wendy.forsyth at gmail.com or visit my website, wendyforsyth.com. Wendy, thank you so much for your time today. The good news is this. Bill Lublin and Sean Carpenter are delivering lunch to us. <laughs> That's as great we news. That amazing. So thank you for your time. <laughs> thank and I you. It's been a pleasure. Re- yeah, enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you.